So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's dark What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we're returning to comedies with one of my choices. We're covering 1981's cringe comedy classic, Modern Romance, written, directed, and starring Albert Brooks and co-starring Catherine Harold. Mm, How mm. you feel, Jared? I'll tell you how I feel. Unsurprised that it's one of your movies yet again, dude. How do you have the stats in front of you? Like how whatever the month of recording is, which we will keep a mystery for the audience. You've just been on a hot streak for like, I want to say like two months. It's been it's been complete domination. It feels like anyway. Well, we had I'll I'll rewind 14 weeks to. Our Vivarium <laughs> episode, which was uh, the one that had Eric Williams on it. That was a our great first episode. bullseye hit. Great episode. Cool you had a little too. streak there where you had three in a row right after that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then... Those are good times, man. Actually, you you had more than that. You had five out of the following six movies right after that. Right, right. The only one I had in that stretch was Mother. Mm-hmm. And then... I have been on a tear since Let the Right One In, which was our 23rd movie that we've covered, um, not including Top Gun and not including Sling Blade. Um, <laughs> I don't know why Sling Blade still makes me laugh. I don't know why. It was why. just a funny occurrence. Um, great episode for people to go back and check uh, to see how inept we were at our jobs early on in this. <laughs> but from Let the Right One In until now, which has been uh, eight movies, I've gotten six out of those eight. So from let the right win. Yeah. So it's been a tough couple of months for Jared Given films, man. You've been, you've been killing it. What are the two I have? You had the killing of a Chinese bookie and last night in Soho. And there was a four movie streak of mine in between those two. That's interesting. Also two movies that were not universally loved by the two of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we both, Wait, I forget. Where were you at on Chinese Bookie? You were kind I liked of down? I, yeah, I okay. didn't love it. Yeah, I was. I, I had a similar reaction. So we were on the same page for that movie, I think. Yeah. But a challenging one. And then Soho was pretty polarizing. So uh, Maybe our most your polarized choices, episode. Your, your choices have been good, man. I can't argue with them. I just uh, I hope that the tides shift a little bit and even out. I mean, we'll see what... It, Number we hit at the end of the night, obviously, and what's going to the place of modern romance. But uh, time will tell. And until then, excited to chat about this movie with you, dude. Well, we should probably give everyone a, a little recap of where we're at with the board right now. Yeah, hell yeah. So dude. I'll run through and give everyone the 20 as they sit currently. At number one, we've got You Can Count on Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Tonight's Episode, Modern Romance. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking life number 19 face off and number 20 kung fu hustle quite the list anything on there that's jumping out at you that you're hoping we get to next week i really want to watch operation condor like i love jackie chan i'd love to get a chance for us to talk about him in general and i don't think we've really covered anything like it on the show yet in a lot of ways i mean there is only one jackie chan that's for sure how about you Anything that's a single digit. I was looking at the numbers we've hit recently. We have not hit a single digit number since week 14, and we are in the 30th week of this podcast. Again, not including Top Gun and not including Sling Blade. That just defies logic. That's half of a dartboard. How are we missing them? How am I missing them, I should say? I don't know, but we've we've had multiple 16s in that stretch. We've had multiple 17s. You know, we've been... Been yeah. all over the back half of the board. All right, I'll tell you this right now. For tonight's throw, I'm throwing right-handed, and I'm aiming. I'm gonna aim. I don't want to know what the number is. I don't. I don't. I, I, 
I'm going to blur my mind, but I'm going to open my eye and I'm going to aim for a low number and I'm going to hit I'm going to hit it and uh, we'll see what we get. And I'll probably miss it and go right to 17 or something. It's fucking our luck, dude. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to suspend the left handed throw for tonight. I'm going right handed. I'm going to try to be precise. Knowing our luck, you would hit the number we had just put back on the board. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, new to the board. Throw that dart. 16. What's that, Drew? Uh, it's what we just put on the board. <laughs> well, and it's your uh, night we'll uh, tonight, so maybe that I know, be dude. Good I just you. realized that I might get caught with my pants down, dude, because I, I didn't come ready. It'll be kind of a game time decision. I hope our conversation bubbles one up organically. Yeah, that's, all, that's all I got, man. All right. Well, I think it's time to get to the task at hand here. You want to yeah, uh, give us a little streaming check and yeah. let people know where they can watch this movie if they got this far and haven't? Yeah, absolutely. So as mentioned, Modern Romance, 1981 comedy, starring and directed by and co-written by Albert Brooks, available on Crackle for free. We've all been waiting for that one. Crackle uh, still exists? <laughs> Crackle's still around, man. They got a sleek new logo. Have they you don't seen even the new... list it on Letterboxd, which is where I check my stream. Dude, the Crackle logo has come a long way. It looks good. Okay. Uh, but it, <laughs> other than, I mean, everyone's got Crackle. I feel like it's silly to continue. I just feel uh, like, I, how is that even it. possible? They sold off all of their assets. Maybe they were kind of retooling and they're like, we're going to be a bottom feeder and we're just going to collect pre-made stuff and we're the not going to flounder of, of streaming services. Yeah. That's what they should. They should have changed their name to flounder as well. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, but no, it's paid addition, pretty much anywhere you can. Yeah, you can everywhere else. Uh, Voodoo, Amazon Prime, YouTube TV, Apple TV, usual suspects. Um, but it was a pretty, uh, pretty well-known movie, so it should not be hard to track down. And again, for all you Crackle subscribers, you're good to go. <laughs> all three of them are, are yeah. rejoicing right now to know yeah. that they can watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so a Drew Clark choice, as mentioned. Drew, how did Modern Romance get on the board? What led you to kind of think, like, let's get it up there? Well, Albert Brooks has been a recent discovery of mine, recent within the last you know two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been familiar with him for a long time. I think my first exposure to him was obviously like, you know, our childhood, not our childhood. I mean, it was, you know, when we were probably already teenagers, I guess, when this movie came out, but finding Nemo, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think Marlon in that movie has such a distinctive voice that it stuck out to me immediately when I saw that movie, I was like, who is that voice that like, that's such a, a, a interesting voice and so perfectly suited to the you know neurotic father character that 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 marlin is Mm -hmm. so it immediately jumped out to me when i first saw that movie but i i caught him in drive as you know kind of and and i was aware of him as playing against type in that movie you know he was getting a lot of oscar buzz that year for playing this villainous character that you know spoiler alert slashes brian cranston's wrists at one point with a box cutter like Mm -hmm. very different than his traditional comedic persona so you know i i remember the oscar buzz around that movie and around him specifically and and being aware of that but i didn't get to actually watching him until much much later when i watched broadcast news Mm-hmm. And I absolutely fell in love with that movie. Like that is within the last, you know, three years, I, I think I, the first time I saw it was 2019. That movie has climbed my rankings and is like one of my all time favorites at this point. I've watched it four times in the last few years. Like I'm just wow. obsessed with that movie. Um, Holly Hunter is out of control good, the, maybe the best performance I've ever seen in my life. And Albert Brooks is phenomenal in it. And I love him in that movie. So I saw him in that, which we've watched in the past. And, and I yeah. believe you're a fan of, right? Oh, dude, I loved it. And it came out of nowhere for me. You pitched it and you were like, dude, you got to see this movie. And I were like, holy shit, I have this movie on DVD. It was part of a two pack. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about and that. And I bought the other movie. And I was like, I remember seeing like the back of it, the cover, and it was just like Holly Hunter draped over, uh, what's his face? I can't, John William Hurt. Hurt. It, yeah, William Hurt. Yeah, William Hurt, yeah. And um, and I was just like, this looks like a cheesy, old, romantic comedy. <laughs> I'm not watching this shit. 
I bought this for Goodfellas or whatever the other movie was in the two pack and uh, which would be a funny combination. <laughs> um, so I just assumed it was not going to be good and forgot about it. And then when we watched it and talked about it, I was like, holy hell, this movie is amazing. And I totally fell in love with it. And I mean, my my whole Albert Brooks story mirrors yours in a lot of ways. Introduced by Finding Nemo. Didn't recognize the name. Thought he, like you, had a great voice. It kind of sounded like he was talking through a cheese grater or something. It had this great raspy quality to it. And again, maybe it's us projecting our experiences on our entire generation. But my feeling is somehow Albert Brooks didn't trickle down to us. I don't, I don't really know why. He's I think so he's, good. He's a comedy nerds kind of comedian, you know? Yeah. He's, he's a fascinating guy, and I definitely want to get to his backstory and where he comes from. But um, to get back to just why I put this movie on the board, mm-hmm. I was listening to Unspooled with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson. And I, I mentioned this at the end of uh, the episode where I put this on the board. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reiterating myself. But for the people who didn't hear that, Ryan Johnson is one of my fil- favorite filmmakers working today. I'm so excited for Glass Onion coming out later this year. But he was on Unspooled and they were talking about you know, what movies would you put on the AFI top 100 list? Because that's the premise of that show was they initially were just watching all of those movies. Ryan Johnson came on and and they had him nominate like three movies that he thought deserved to be up there. And the first one he talked about was Modern Romance. I was like, that's really interesting. And this was after I had seen Lost in America and really enjoyed it. Um, but I, for some reason, I just hadn't put, I, I didn't realize that people considered this to be his masterpiece. Mm. And so from there, I also then heard that uh, Stanley Kubrick saw this movie and just obsessed over it when it came out. And he was like, he called up Albert Brooks apparently and was like, how did you make a movie about jealousy? I've wanted to make a movie about jealousy forever. <laughs> and then of course he goes on to make Eyes Wide Shut, which yeah, is like he the kept ultimate trying. The most movie, jealous jealousy. movie I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean like, I, I just like all, I'm like these filmmakers that I am obsessed with love this fucking movie. I've got to, I've got to see this. So mm-hmm. I just, I thought it would be a great addition to the board for that reason. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to chat about it with you and see what you thought. Now, mm. remind the audience where you come from. I, I mean, I know this story, but you've seen another one of Albert Brooks's written and directed films before. Drew sent me a gift some many months ago of two Blu-rays in the mail. It's just like a surprise, nice thing to do. One of them was Yojimbo and the other was Lost in America. And... I had some friends come over. We're like, hey, man, we're going to watch this movie that Drew told me about. He says it's great. I love what I've seen from Albert Brooks. Like, he's excellent. It couldn't be bad. And none of us liked it. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say to, like, an extreme level of distaste. But, like, we were all just like, well, that didn't live up to the hype that Drew brought into it. <laughs> um, Did not know so, I was recommending it to an audience when I said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Even even the audience aside, I just um, I don't really care for that movie. No, yeah, but I love seeing Albert Brooks on film. Uh, but yeah, Lost in America did not work, which I would not say is necessarily the case for this one. Well, you might have just tipped your hand there, but I'm I'm curious to, to hear. I mean, we'll get to my reactions as well, <laughs> given that this is you know my selection. But I think I'm more interested to hear what you thought, given that you did not like Lost in America, which I think is fucking brilliant, and I love that movie. Uh, what did you think about modern romance? I love it. Hell I'm yeah. kind of in the uh, I'm kind of in the Ryan Johnson camp of this. I mean, I don't know if I'd put it in my top 100, or you know, I don't know if I love it off of one and a half viewings as deeply as 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 those do. But I really, really like it. I think it it moves at such an interesting pace, and the way the movie starts and then just kind of becomes a one-man play for a little while mm-hmm. is really fascinating. And then other people get folded back into it. And it's got a really uh, very realistic sort of vibe to it, very absurd. And some characters take some really interesting turns and unexpected terms. Uh, 
It is very much worthy of that word you put on it earlier, cringeworthy. So worthy of cringeworthy. It's just cringe comedy to the extreme. And just a lot of awkwardness and just a lot of don't do that. You know, like in, the people always say in horror films, like, don't go in that door. It's like the the, the social embarrassment version of that. Of like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Don't go there. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, but never to a level that threw me out of the movie. Like, it's definitely awkward and it's definitely like, oh, no. But I've seen much more awkward shit that has almost made me want to turn it off. You know what I mean? This never really gets into that realm. Yeah. And had some Scott's really... Tots level. Yeah, yeah. Had some really, really big laughs to it and really unexpected things, like I said, outside of just character, but but others like story beats and stuff. And I'll get into the spe- specifics, but overall, I start the movie... And I just get in its groove immediately. We talked about that a little bit with King of Comedy. How about how a movie just starts and it's just got you? Mm -hmm. This movie opens in an extremely different energy, but like in a very similar reaction where I'm just like, I'm in. Something about those first two minutes, just I'm in. I'm I'm on for the along for the ride. And I was I was really seduced and I really loved it. And um yeah, I'm excited to get into the deets, but that was my sort of like overall feeling. I just really was enamored. What did you think of this film? Just upon either first or however many viewings and what was your initial reaction? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm at uh, two viewings at this point. I mean, as I usually do, I watched the first one with, you know, complete focus. And then the second one I was, you know, doing research and stuff in the background as well. Um, staying in the mode of the movie, not like just yeah. on my phone browsing. I was, you know, yeah, you're not ironing your shirts. No, I'm like know, reading yeah. reading articles about yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. and shit. But um, I just like to kind of like have it in the background and check in for scenes, and you know that that's mm-hmm. how I like to do it. But yeah, I I think I'm maybe a little less effusive than you are about it. Um, mm-hmm. I have some issues with the movie, but generally i i really love this movie i think it's it's so well put together it's um you can see all of the influences that this movie has had on comedy and on mm-hmm. um you know things like the office and and uh just you know kind of in the cringe comedy realm but i think more than that in the way that it's unflinchingly in the way that it's so willing to let its main character be unlikable. I think it's so it's courageous in that way. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we'll get to some of that too, cause I want to talk more about that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really <laughs> love a lot about this movie. I think I still like lost in America a little bit more. I think that movie is like, you you should give that one a, a rewatch and see if I in, in a not. different headspace you might like. I it more. will not, man. The nest egg, nest egg, nest egg, nest egg, just too much, man. Okay, all right. Fair I enough. mean, I mean, I, I probably will someday, but I will be in no great hurry. And I don't think it was that sort of vibe. I don't think it was like, uh, what was my mood? And I gotta, I gotta, gotta, gotta check it out again and see if I can. It just really didn't work. But anyway, that's that movie. Well, what um, I mean, what worked more about this movie because I feel like they're very like they're they're the, obviously the same voice to me. Mm, um, I don't know. They 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 felt very different to me. Um, hmm. They just um, well, I mean, Lost in America is much more of a biting satire of like the boomer entitlement. You know, it, it's like it, it's the reason that movie works for me is that it's so honest and, and like it's poking fun at its own audience. Like it's Mm -hmm. the people that were going to see that movie are the target of that movie's ridicule. And I think that's like, that's really interesting. Um, I don't know. Like, like this movie is just a little bit more straightforward to me. So maybe that's what worked for you. I mean, I'd have to see it again, and I get, I get what you're doing. You're trying to trick me into watching it a second time. I will not. Okay. I will not. Send but me I did that not, fucking Blu-ray if you're never yeah, going to watch it, because I want to watch I'll, that movie again. I'll send it back. I'll send it back. <laughs> I'll uh, replace gotta, it. I'll send you something else new that you, you can gotta, pay. you got to pay for the shipping, though, but I'll send it back. <laughs> I'll pay for the shipping, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll be curious to get to sort of like, you know, 
how un, how unsympathetic is this character exactly? Like when we get into him, like in due time. But um, well, let's let's start at the beginning of the movie. You you yeah. brought up the opening of the movie, and I thought when a movie starts like that, you're you're immediately locked in with it, and you're like, okay, something interesting immediately happened right out of the gates. I'm I'm with this thing. I want to see where this goes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a, a clever way to start a movie, and I, and I love the beginning of this. I do love the all the clues in that opening scene of like this has happened before. There's something kind of hidden in the opening that I think is masked in a really way. It masked in a really cool way. It's clear that Albert Brooks's character is this like waffly guy. We get clues from Catherine Harold, who plays Mary, the girlfriend, that like they've been here before, but we don't really see how she feels about it. She's she's clearly fed up, but it looks like Albert's character has been here before many times. What we don't know until way later into the movie is that she's crazy too. And they're they're like kind of crazy together, you know what I mean? And that's what I like. That was one of the unexpected things I didn't see coming. Um, Tell me how like, you think she's crazy. Well, the fact that... Because I did she, not get that at all. Well, I mean, I'm, I guess crazy is not the right word. I should say dysfunctional. She is also... They're, dis, they're a dysfunctional couple and they... They work in this sort of perpetual dysfunctional tandem. Right, but what's her dysfunction? Because I that that's we're kind of getting to my major gripe with this movie. So I'll, I'll just lay that out now. My major gripe with this movie is that I don't think her character is given enough agency in that she kind of just gets swept along on this guy's delusions and like this like these these you know this back and forth this like push and pull waffling that they're doing like I don't feel this like any propulsiveness behind her decision making I don't feel her making any decisions Mm. um so it's interesting to me that you're saying like you find her to be dysfunctional I mean maybe you could read that as like the dysfunction that's being written into the the character but what did you see that was dysfunctional well I see them as just a dysfunctional tandem and they like kind of bring out the worst in each other and they can't get away from each other. They like they get they get off on this this ridiculous push and pull and this on again off again thing. But they both they both it frustrates them to no end, but they both also really like it. And it kind of works in this really bizarre way that doesn't work at all. And her kind of like I think there's a part of her that does enjoy his sort of uh, paranoid, you know, obsessions to a degree. And the, the, the way the, when her character takes a turn for me is when she likes the gifts because like, cause that to me was like the biggest fist bite of the movie is just when he drops the gifts off at her door Mary. and, and we're just like, Oh my God, dude, like you can't even go 24 hours without trying to like win this girl back. And it's like, so embarrassing and I didn't expect it to work at all I was like this is a terrible idea but then she leaves that message on his machine that's like I like the giraffe and when she says I like the giraffe I'm like oh my god she's also crazy (laughs) like that's what I meant by like it's like oh my goodness she's responding to this behavior and it's really kind of illuminates their relationship in a lot of ways like I really thought she was genuine in the breakup scene at the beginning she was like fed up with him. And when she says like, don't call me anymore. Like I really thought she meant it. Yeah. And I thought the whole movie was going to be him failing to win her back because she was serious about not wanting this anymore. But it goes in such an unexpected turn. And we, we see that she's kind of a, an accomplice in this dysfunctional relationship too. And they are kind of like trapped in this cycle together. and just yeah. cannot break out of it. You know, that's interesting that you read it that way. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that I there's enough in the movie to suggest to me that she is an equal offender in the cycle of of stupidity that they're stuck in. Yeah, I I don't know if she's an equal offender, but she's a fucking accomplice for sure. You know what I mean? And like yeah. like she's she's involved. And I mean, who knows, maybe she's she's she is equal, but the movie is is pretty much told from Albert Brooks's perspective. Sure. So we spend we spend a lot of time with him in this film, obviously. 
But like when she says, don't call me again and or don't call me this time, I think she says as she's storming across the parking lot. Did you did you believe her? Like, I really thought I thought there was a good chance we wouldn't see her again in this movie. Like, I thought she was really going to ice him out and he was just going to be dealing with it. You know. I mean, I knew the premise of the movie, so I knew that okay. she was probably going to be more featured than that. But mm-hmm. I, I believed in the moment that that character did not want to hear from the person. I honestly thought the movie was going to do like a like a rewind in time and go back to like earlier mm. in the relationship or something. But, you know, right, obviously it doesn't right, go right. that way. But what it does do is it does something more interesting, which is it goes into this guy's coping with oh. <laughs> the breakup which is really fucking funny so the whole so opening funny. like the first half hour 40 minutes of this movie is <laughs> out of control good the fucking long takes the quaaludes the monologues and just the one-man show the yeah. one-man showiness of it all is again not knowing much about this movie before you picked it and before we watched it I was just like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like a play like that. That's how that's the vibes I was getting in the first 15 to 20. I was thinking this could be on stage and yeah. this would work really fucking well. And the fact that he's on drugs and in mourning justifies the fact that he's talking to himself so much. You know, I think we all talk to ourselves a little bit if we're alone in the house. But the fact that he's going through like full expressions of his feelings by himself. It's like, well, he's on drugs and he's heartbroken. We, so it, like we buy it in the fiction of the scene and it was really working, but then the movie grows. It, it expands outside. It's not like it doesn't stay in that one man show structure. It grows to him getting his broken heart being abused by the businesses around him that just see him coming a, a mile away with this new attitude of like wanting to, 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 to start his life anew. Yeah. Well, it's, and I want to talk about those scenes, but I first just want to talk a little bit about Albert Brooks mm-hmm. as a, as an actor. So Albert Brooks was a stand-up comedian. He had a couple of major hit stand-up comedy albums in the early 70s. And I had no idea he was a stand-up, by the way. Yep. That, that's news to me as of right now. And he, you know, got some got a bunch of renown for that. When Saturday Night Live was first starting up, Lorne Michaels approached Albert Brooks to be the permanent host of that show. He wanted him on every episode. And Brooks was already super famous at that point. And he was like, ah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do that right now. I want to do my own thing. What a bad but, idea, by the way. A permanent host? Terrible. Well, you know, they were still figuring out what the show was. Yeah. I mean, you well, go back and watch that first season of SNL. It, it resembles nothing of what SNL is now. What he did do was he produced six different short films for the show. So the first season of, of SNL has six different short films that... Albert Brooks has done. Um, and that was like his first filmmaking experience, basically mm. like behind the camera. Do you mean like to do a modern comp? Would you say something like Andy Sandberg? He was the and originator the- of digital shorts. Yes. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Which I mean, digital shorts is not just Lonely Island. I mean, digital right. shorts is like, you know, uh, Smigel, you know, doing his animated shit in the early 90s. And like, um, anyway. Yeah, that's like a long lineage of of short film production for Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live starts with Albert Brooks, so he did that, and then his first writing directing of a feature film is a movie that you've mentioned as one that you thought about putting on the board, uh, which is Real Life. Yeah, and that movie predicted reality TV. Oh. Yeah, that movie, I've seen about a third of it. I caught it on TV, and I was just like, what is this? This is really good. And I took a screenshot of my phone. This was long before we even were talking about doing a podcast. And I've always wanted to to go back and see the whole thing. And I'm waiting for the right time to put it on the board. So it'll get on. It's not going up this week, but it'll get on at some point, and I'm excited. Absolutely, no. And it makes me all the more excited to watch it. And I didn't realize until recently that that movie also has uh, Charles Grodin in it, which oh yeah, even more reason for us to watch. Yeah, I didn't recognize that that was him. I know exactly who he plays. That's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so Real Life was his debut as a filmmaker. Uh, Modern Romance is his follow-up to that two years later. 
So mm-hmm. 79 for real life, 81 for modern romance. And here we are. And, you know, this opening of this movie is a showcase for Albert Brooks, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. It's a, it's a complete <clears throat> acting powerhouse. It's so, so good. And he's so funny in it. It's he's so, funny. so damn funny. But before I launched into the backstory on Albert Brooks, you mentioned the uh, store scenes of him just getting <laughs> swindled by these people. Yeah, Specifically, the better of the two is is the scene with Bob Einstein, oh, who you yes. mentioned earlier. And yes. I know you're a fan of Bob Einstein. I did not realize until this week that is Albert Brooks's brother. Holy shit! I Albert have Brooks's never known. Name is actually Albert Einstein. Oh no wonder he wanted to change it. <laughs> so fair. Um, I did not know they were. F- they must have had so much fun doing that scene as brothers together. Dude, when Bob Einstein passed away a couple of years ago, Albert Brooks posted that video on Twitter as like his his remembrance of his brother because was, they had the, was so that much scene? Fun. Yeah. Oh. They're so good together in that scene. And and again, I'm just watching it in the context of of not knowing any of that, that they're brothers. I um, was a fan of Bob Einstein. I would think like a lot of us our age through Curb was kind of really how I got to know him as Marty Funkhauser. Well, also Arrested Development. That's the one that that's the (laughs) one that I got introduced to him by. The surrogate. Is that who he is? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, those two. That that's how we know him. But then when he passed, there was all this talk of the comedy that he used to do back in the seventies as Super Dave Osborne. Mm-hmm. And after his passing, I went back and watched some of that stuff, and it's hysterical. It's really, really funny. I still a lot of watched that. I did, did a lot of like physical, outlandish humor. He was kind of like uh, the character he played as you might surmise based on his name, Super Dave Osborne was kind of like a bad, like a hapless evil Knievel or someone who would <laughs> fail and that sort of thing based on the, the few videos that I saw. And he's really funny and um, rest in peace. But he is so good in that scene where he does that soft sell of the box of being like not up to speed. And he just manipulates Albert Brooks so fucking well. I'm sorry. I misjudged you. You should go yeah. for the box. Go with the box. You'll like it. <laughs> no, no, no. And he's like, yeah. a zipper wallet. Aren't there pockets in the thing? And he's like, it's better to keep it on your wrist. And he's just like, loaded him up with all this stuff. And the, and the way the price keeps escalating and escalating. That scene is just so damn funny. And also just going back to the Brooks kind of solo stuff before that, like all of those scenes on the phone when he's on the Quaaludes, I was totally in love with, especially the guy who asks if he can ask her out. And he just starts ripping in there. And he's like, oh, you tra- go back to the trash can. He keeps telling him, he's telling him, he's a scumbag. And he's like, calm down, calm down. Like, I don't know. It's so funny. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that kind of leads me yeah. to talking about another actor in the movie that I love. Uh, are you familiar with Bruno Kirby, the guy who plays as assistant editor? I am. So I'm, I'm most familiar with Bruno Kirby. When Harry met Sally, that's that's the 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 performance of his that I always associate with with, and that's like probably my favorite romantic comedy. It's not necessarily my favorite uh, romantic movie or anything, but in terms of the rom com genre, I love that movie, and he's great in it. I just recently rewatched When Harry Met Sally. It totally fucking holds up. That movie he's, rules, and dude, he it's is so good. Him and Carrie Fisher together are so fucking funny in that movie. Mm-hmm. Anytime movies that he is in get brought up, I feel like people are like, ah, Bruno Kirby, he fucking rules. Yeah, the, and and they should be that way because he's he is awesome. He's a natural. You know, he doesn't like crackle and sizzle on the screen like some of our traditional big dogs that we have on this show, but he's he's very effortless. He never seems to be pushing anything. And yeah. like everything he seems to be doing is right. And uh, he just feels really organic up there. I, I, I really like him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, big fan of him in this movie. But you, uh, you've you been doing a lot of editing work recently. How'd you feel about all the editing scenes? Oh, my God, dude. I have been living in 
this nightmare a little bit. So I'm I'm a, working right now on a on a movie as an assistant editor. So I'm pretty much the Bruno Kirby role in this. So of course, everything being digital now, so a lot of the the way you go about it is different. But the the conversations are like exactly the same. And we were at this stage in the edit before we watched this movie this week where we had gone through the work with the director and we were starting to deal with a lot of excessive changes coming from the director. And I will say uh, the director we are working with is fantastic and is, is trying to realistically get the best thing possible out the door in time, which is not always the case. And the editor I've been working with, Scott, was telling me before we started this directive process, it's like, you got to get them out of the room. And Scott is a very experienced editor. He's like, after they have their time with the cut and we go to the next stage, which generally the next stage after the director's cut is the producer's cut. He's like, you can't, you can't, they can't be in the room anymore because then you have the producer and the director, two alphas kind of circling each other about this creative discussion and it just never ends and it just keeps going. And if the director keeps getting the cut, the movie will never end. And they literally say that in this movie <laughs> up to some extent when he's like, why do we send him the tapes? If we send him the tapes, he'll ne it'll never stop. It's fine. Like, it's never going to end. And that is so true. Like, if the director, directors want to get it right, I get it. But, like, if you, if you keep them in the room for too long, they just will not let the movie stop. That's so funny. That, yeah. Now, did you feel like the editing scenes felt to me, they felt a little disjointed with all the romantic stuff. And I kind of, I as much as I was enjoying the mm. scenes on a comedic level, mm -hmm. I, I felt like it was sort of pulling me away from the core of the story that I really wanted to be spending time with. I could see that. I think that's fair. It really worked for me, I think partly because my bias of being in a similar position. Mm -hmm. But also, it's kind of like... He's so excited to be back with her after a fucking day. And Lord knows how many times he's had this conversation with Kirby. But like uh, that he's like he's got a spring in his step and he's excited to get back to work. And so I think it kind of works for for portraying his emotional state outside of his relationship with her. Like when they have these good moments together he is a better version of himself and he is excited to be at work and dive into things and, and, and kind of, so, so for that I, it worked. And I think it was a way for them to kind of poke, poke fun at the industry yeah, and kind of poke fun at the egos involved and um, have fun with that whole thing. And I did want to say one thing too. Um, I literally had a conversation last week about us wanting to keep a scene in and the other people thought it tipped hands. Like they didn't use that word, but it was like literally like it was an exact argument that happens in this film happened in, in the edit for this. So a lot of that terminology still all exists. And it's it's they, they did a really good job, I think, of of demonstrating that sh struggle. But I, I do think to your point, it's a legit concern of like, is it jarring to all of a sudden go into this office space? For me, it worked. Did it did it? buck you out of the movie too hard or did it was it okay no i mean i i think in the moment it didn't totally bother me it, it was more just thinking about the i don't know i mean th this is part and parcel of albert brooks's style he loves to just marinate in these awkward drawn out tension-filled scenes mm. um you know the, it's true of the scene with uh, them doing the the uh, footsteps on the, you know on the the when he's like running with the glass jug and trying to get like work. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, but they just they draw these things out, and and Brooks loves to just like sit with these things. There's a scene in a casino dealing with him arguing with a casino manager in uh, Lost in America that is the maybe the single most incredible awkward conversation I've ever seen put to film, it's and drawn it out. takes so fucking long it's like 10 minutes of just stewing with this shit and so like i think in that way i'm able to forgive it because even though personally i feel like it's maybe pulling me out of the rhythm of like the, the stuff that the meat that i really want to get to which is like you know him dealing with the relationship and just i don't know like that that's what i'm attracted to in this movie but that mm -hmm. being said, all of these scenes are like little micro, you know, short films within a larger film. And and they yeah. all are funny. Yeah. And they all are just kind of 
making fun of how small all these people really are right you know but well speaking of one of those small people uh the director of the movie that they're editing is actually james l brooks who is the filmmaker who made uh broadcast news terms of endearment as good as it gets he's an incredible filmmaker and uh obviously him and albert brooks are are friends they worked on on uh broadcast news six years after this movie came out Mm -hmm. and he, you know, employs him as an actor in this movie, which I thought was really interesting to play a director. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I thought this was a James L. Brooks movie. I didn't realize before we started talking tonight in our pre-chat that it was Albert Brooks. I was like, oh shit, I didn't know he wrote and directed. I always get those two mixed up. And for the life of me, I don't know why. Um, But did you know, do you, was James L. Brooks, did he used to do some cameo stuff or some small acting things? Or was this kind of rare for him? Do you know? I mean, I think a lot of filmmakers do this kind of thing. I mean, it goes back to like Hitchcock and shit. Yeah. You know, like, he, I mean, he would always show up in his movies. I mean, he did less acting, but um, Scorsese showed up in, in a number of his movies. Tarantino. Um, Tarantino. But then Benny outside Safdie. of like their own <laughs> movies... You know, you've got stuff like Spike Jones does a lot of acting on the side. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Sydney John Pollack. Favreau. Sydney Pollack, John Favreau. But I mean, John Favreau kind of came in as like a actor writer. Yeah. But no, but also a good point. Um, Who's but that I mean, famous? Werner Herzog. He Werner, shows up sometimes. Werner Herzog does. Yeah, he was in the fucking Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think... It's, it's interesting. I think when you are a director and you've directed actors that many times, I think you in some ways just have internalized how to perform in some way. And mm. I think directors naturally are, are pretty gifted when they're given a chance to just do something like that. Um, yeah. You know who is not, who does not seem to share that gift is Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I was literally thinking the same thing yeah. and I didn't say it because I was like, is that even going to be interesting? But yeah, no, gonna, you're 100% right. Are we going right. to kneecap him? Like he, he is, obviously, we love him on this show. He's amazing. <laughs> He's not a great actor. <laughs> Based on yeah. Austin Powers 3 is what I'm basing He's on. gunning to be the first filmmaker to get two movies uh, covered on Dartboard Movie Night, so. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, we love, we love Steven, but yeah, not a great actor. No. But yeah, that is funny. A lot of a lot of them share this bug of wanting to try it or or being decent at it. I, I think also I the other thing of it too is that I think filmmakers love having other filmmakers on set. Or at least yes. the the ones that, you know, that I really enjoy. Like Paul Thomas Anderson loves being on other people's sets and loves having other people on his set. That like artists yeah. that he respects. And I think like that's part of it too is is you're bringing someone onto set that that already knows what you're going through and they're not going to make your life difficult. Yeah, I heard someone like one of the actors who was in Wolf of Wall Street who's also a director in real life. I think it was Rob Reiner might have been saying it. Another one by the Another way. Another one. Um I think he was saying how his theory was that Marty likes to have directors acting. Because they understand the pressures, like you're saying. They understand timetables and things like that. And they're not, they're not going to get in the way of that. They're not going to bog something down with, well, let me try, let me try, let me try. Which I get is, you know, for a lot of actors, is a really important part of the process. And we've on this show talked about a movie like King of Comedy where they took six days, I think it was, to do one scene. So he's not opposed to taking time to figure shit out. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying when you you know when you, I guess... In Rob Reiner's opinion about Scorsese, you know when you bring a director on set, they're going to do what you ask them to do in a timely manner so you can maybe stick them in where you're up against it or you just want something easy that you're not going to have to work at for fucking a week. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a number of different factors, but I think it also is just they like to be around their their buds, you know. They're they're, mm-hmm. they're that too. They're compatriots in filmmaking. So, we were talking about you know, the whole opening of this movie into the first, you know, section of Albert Brooks dealing with the breakup and mm-hmm. I guess more more accurately not dealing with it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Quaaludes, phone calls, some some light stalking. 
Yeah, but we've talked about the Mary character, but I do just want to mention, you know, Catherine Harold is is playing Mary in this. And towards the end of, you know, this section that we're talking about, they get back together and they try to to make it work. And I don't know, I mean, as much as I had a problem with her character and the way that it's written, I think she's great in this movie and I I wish she had more to do. I think that's probably the the core of my frustration with that part Mm. of the movie is that I'm like, she's fucking killing it. Give this woman more to do. Dude, I would love to see a remake of this movie like made the year after it was made in real time. That's the exact same story, but from her perspective. A little before sunset, before sunrise Yeah, something like that. But it's like, it's like... Again, in real life, they did make it a year later. And it's, again, same stretch of days, but we just get her side of the story. Mm. Like, what what oh, leads okay. to her What leads to her liking the giraffe? We get to spend more time with her. We see everything. I would love who, that. Who is she consulting? Who is she talking to about this? What are her parents saying? Like, um, you know, and like I'd like Dude, to see write that more movie. of that. I w- I, let's, let's, fucking, <laughs> let's cast Emma Stone as yeah. this character and let's go. Yeah, because I I totally agree. I like I I do. Even though I kind of, I think I don't think she's necessarily underwritten, but I do agree that I want to see more of her because she's really good. She um she goes toe to toe. And Albert, look, it's not what the movie is is about. It's not what it's trying to say. Like the the for better, you know, I I would love to get more of Mary's perspective, but the movie is told from Albert Brooks Bob's perspective, Mm -hmm. and. You know, I, I don't think it's l- like necessarily lesser for that, but I'm I'm so glad you brought this up because like thinking about that, I'm like, fuck, I would love to watch her yeah. side of this story. Dude, they should have shot a sequel like simultaneously while they were doing this. They really and just should have fucking flipped it. It would have been so cool. Well, I mean, that's a good time also to mention. I mean, this this movie is not just written by Albert Brooks. It's also co-written by uh, Monica Johnson, who was mm-hmm. Brooks's early collaborator on a lot of his scripts. I think mm-hmm. she also co-wrote uh, Real Life and maybe even Lost in America as well. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was a, a female voice on that writing, you know, that writing pairing. And mm-hmm. I would love to hear more of what Catherine Harold's character has in this. God, me too. She's so good in all these scenes, man. Like where she's, she delivers dialogue great. When things are good in there, when things are working in the few times we see it, you can, you feel like it works. You know what I mean? Like you, the chemistry seems real. Uh, and then when it falls apart and she kind of storms off and does all like, she just, she delivers everything really, really well. I you think. know, you know what a scene that I think shows how good she is in this movie is that that kind of goes unnoticed when they're at the party and she goes into the bathroom and does coke with the the two people that she knew from from previous jobs or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they come out of that and, and Albert Brooks is clearly jealous and thinking that something weird is happening and is, you know, getting thrown off and just completely flustered and needs to leave the party like a complete awkward fucking weirdo. (laughs) I think she handles that scene so well. You can like see the confusion on her face and just like the way she's interacting with this guys is yes, it's like somewhat flirty, but it's like flirty in a friendly way. It doesn't like you can see why what she's doing is interpreted by this narcissist as her potentially cheating on him. But at the same time, you also see like, no, she's totally normal, dude. Like, yeah, relax. he is, he is like, Albert, you are being ridiculous. And it's, like, and it's from how she's performing that part. I feel like, yeah, not that there'd be anything wrong with this, but she, she's not doing anything to seek this attention. No. Out. She's just getting it. She's just being friendly. No, she's not like, she's not like, touching them aggressively and being super flirty and like egging him on. She's no, just and the, and the guy is the guy that she's with is literally asking Albert Brooks to come join them. He's like, Hey, you want to, you want to yeah, go yeah. in the back? That one guy's taps like brain nose. dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Taps his nose. One guy's got the dead eyes. Like, it's just like, Albert, what do you really think they just did in the bathroom together? <laughs> you were the gone three like of them two minutes for like 90 seconds. Like calm <laughs> the fuck down you got confronted by george kennedy for all of two minutes and you thought that she was getting boned in the bathroom by these two guys 
Yeah. And yes, you're right. She is great. And he is so in the wrong for spinning out. (laughs) Insanely wrong. Yeah. I mean, we should just say this, like this character is a complete fucking narcissist who suffers from the worst case of main character syndrome I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And I'm saying that about the main character of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, uh, he is very paranoid and he's aware of his paranoia too, because he's constantly, he says little things like, I hate this word. You know, because I'm sure he gets he's accused aware, of it all the time. He's aware, but he's not aware. He's, That's he's true. like the That's consummate true. narcissist where he's like, he's yeah, yeah. willing to admit to a certain amount of it, but yeah. the level of delusion is so much worse than he's yeah. giving himself credit for. Yeah, he's, he's almost saying in a way, is like, people say this about me. I know they do, but, you know. It's the ultimate <laughs> narcissist way to handle it. It's like, let me yeah. cut you off at the pass. I'm admitting yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I know we we I know what you think I am because I but but yeah, it's like <laughs> crazy. It's it's nuts, but I, yeah. I I mean all of that stuff I think is is really fascinating yeah. to me. And then like you know after they have sex and she gets dressed and goes to work and he's like, wait, what are you wearing? Like he's changed the out dress. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does he say? Like your nipples look like like eyeballs, <laughs> eyeballs, <laughs> something like that. It's like what the fuck, dude? Like chill yeah, the yeah. fuck out. Then he does have that great, great line as she's leaving. There's people out there that only rape. That's all they do is rape. It's so awful. It's so awful. But the way she looks at him is giving us kind of clues to their sort of energies together. I was like, she kind of looks at all this stuff just playfully. Like she, she legit gets offended when she finds out that he... Uh, looked at her phone bill and called someone on the number. Like that's where she starts being like, okay, that's not charming anymore. Ultimately, I just wanted to make sure we talked about Catherine Harold because she's fucking great. And I've never she's really great. seen any of her other performances. I'm pulling her up on IMDb right now. And like she, it seems like she's the main love interest for the Schwarzenegger movie, Raw Deal. Looks like she was on the Rockford Files for years. Like she, she doesn't have like a ton of major credits. It doesn't look like she was on the Larry Sanders show for eighteen episodes, which is a show that I've always meant to go back and watch. Yeah, but I think, dude, you would love that show. I I know I would. And Jeffrey I, I like Tambor, Shandling. it's Shandling and Rip Torn is out of this world in that show. Oh, I've you seen the first season. It. I've just never gone past there, and I, yeah. I need to go back and watch. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just she didn't have a ton of major credits, but she's so good in this movie. I, I love fantastic. Her. Would have liked to have seen her in more stuff, but excited to see her pop up and maybe Larry Sanders show or anything else we might come across because she's really fucking good in this. Really good. I had some kind of individual moments that I wanted to hit that just really made me laugh. You know, we talk about sometimes that it's like we don't want to be the a comedy show podcast whenever we hit a movie like a comedy movie and just rehash the bits. But there are just a couple I want to give shout outs to because they're just too funny to not to not mention. Go, baby. One of them is all the sad songs that just keep showing up on the radio as <laughs> that, he's driving the first around. Time, yeah, that bit was so the fucking funny. First time. And the first time is when he's driving in the car by himself. It's a daytime. And he cycles through three songs and they're all hysterical choices. And it's just like we've all been there. When you're just in heartbreak and you can't escape it, God and it seems like a whole. Knows what be <laughs> yeah, that's the second. <laughs> and then when he takes that girl on that disastrous date that that's never even gets off bit the of ground. The movie, in my opinion, that I was just like, not even like cackling out loud, but his face is so funny as the Michael, the sad Michael Jackson song creeps on the radio, and he's keeping it together, like he's not like weeping openly. But his eyes, you can just see he is breaking to this song. <laughs> and it's so damn funny. And she is next to him. They do it in him. one take. What? It's, it's really one of the best Albert Brooks scenes I've ever seen from a performance level. I'm like, that's, don't change a thing. That is perfect. The other shout out I had to give was after he gets all the running shit, which we talked about, and... He goes to the track and he's doing all his stretches and he's just like, gotta forget about her, gotta forget about her. And then he fucking takes off and just takes a hard right into the phone booth. So <laughs> and, good. And After almost her. like completely cutting off the one guy. 
Yeah, he, he makes the call, and I didn't catch this joke until the second time because I can't remember in his paranoid mind. He thinks she's seeing somebody else or whatever. He calls her place of work, and they're like, oh, Fidelity Bank, please hold. And just goes, <laughs> Fidelity, <laughs> which is such a good joke. <laughs> right, but those are just two little shout outs I wanted to give is just moments that really just cracked me up. I really quick just wanted to bring up, I, I made a note here. I'm looking through my notes while I was watching the movie and I, I failed to bring this up earlier, but we put out a episode a few weeks ago that was a compilation of our intro chats. And in one of those chats, we talked about a movie called the heartbreak kid which is an Elaine May movie. I felt so many parallels between the Charles Grodin character from that movie and the main mm-hmm. character in this movie, just in terms of like a character that is, again, like suffering from main character syndrome. They can do no wrong. They are complete narcissists that just like any, any decision that they're coming to, they believe is justified and right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I like, Anyone who liked this movie, please, please go watch The Heartbreak Kid because the, they're like a, a perfect one-two yeah. punch, I feel like. Yeah, they're great bedfellows. They, they, they go incredibly well together. One, one other note. Did you catch that they mentioned Heaven's Gate in this movie? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. In the in the ADR in the ADR booth. We've got Heaven's Gate, the short version coming in in 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess everyone was bitching about that movie for everything it did to them, to the I, to their world. I, I, I mean, not that that is an aggressively a shot, but I don't know. Based on that movie's lineage, I assumed it was a a shot. I got one last little thing that I just noticed on the first viewing was like when he's on lewds and he's strung out and he's talking to the assistant editor and about how he just people should say they love each other more and he's like you know like your parents like we never say these things and then the next thing you know you're they're gone and we just never had a chance to say it and then after that when he's sober every time he's on the phone with his mother he shoves her off the phone. It's so funny after this like loody sort of like, we should be more loving to our parents. And then just literally cannot get his mom off the phone fast enough. It's just so funny to me. Yeah, gotta call you back. Yeah, I'll call you later. Okay, goodbye, goodbye. So it's just like I think a great subtle joke about how we do have these epiphanies, whether drug-induced or not, and they just wash away with day-to-day grind really quickly. <laughs> We're at the end of the episode. What do you think? You gonna go back to Lost in America? No, but I might. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, after all that, there there is a serious. You don't think chance. there's any part of you that misjudged that movie? Um, there probably is, and I think I would be down to see it again someday. But now I'm gonna be stubborn, so I got to give it another eight months. <laughs> Just, just because of this conversation taking place. Okay. Had it not come up, I'd revisit it tomorrow. But wow. I, I'm a man of my word. Uh, no, no, I think um, I own it. I'm not going to be sending it back to you anytime soon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe I'll watch it again just so I can get it out the door on a clean conscience and send it back to you. But, um, but I don't plan on it. And I do think there is a chance that another Albert Brooks could be going up on the board tonight. Possibly. It's possible. Holy shit. Okay. Well, I might be going completely what I get what I, against what I said early on. Well, yeah. you already led into it. Let's get into yeah. it. What's going on the board, Jared? I'll give you the two choices. And they're both organic that had seeds planted months and months ago, weeks ago, I should say. And they both in a strange way kind of came up tonight. Not these movies specifically all the time, but both actors came up tonight. Oh. And I don't think they could be more different, so I want to bounce them both off. Ooh. One of them is the easy one. The aforementioned real life. So it, we've, we, we, in the past on this show, we have tried to avoid quickly throwing something up by the same person. But this has been on my list for a really long time. I don't have any other bangers ready to go. 
It seems organic. Rules are meant I, to be broken. Rules are meant to be broken. I would be really annoyed if we hit it like right away. I hope it lives on the board for a couple months. Makes sense. Although on an, on the other hand, it would be really funny to do the same filmmaker two weeks in a row for the yeah. first time. And I guess that would be kind of cool too in a, in a strange way if that happened. Uh, in an order that probably nobody does them. It would be another like, DBMN first. Yeah, it would be. Option two is a bit weirder. Have you ever seen the film Conan the Barbarian? <laughs> no, but I kind of love that choice. So I've never seen it either. The editor I've been working with. So this is a reason that it could work because we talked a lot about editing tonight. He mentioned Conan the Barbarian and how it's like a great, terrible 80s movie and how Arnold Schwarzenegger barely speaks in it and all this stuff. And it was his sort of, as, as my understanding, is it was his sort of breakout into to the American audience. Well, I mean, other than Pumping Iron, but that was a documentary. Yeah. And I am a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. He's my second favorite action star of all time after Jackie Chan. I think it would kind of be a fun choice. Neither of us have seen it. It's probably going to, there's going to be a good amount of cheese in it, but I think that's kind of fun. The only other cheesy-ish movie we have on here is Face Off and maybe Fifth Element, but I think um, I think it's kind of a fun choice, and I think it's a little too soon for real life. I think it's the better choice. Is that what you're going with? I think so. That's what my heart is more excited about it. As someone who loves shit like Highlander, I love 80s cheese, RoboCop, yeah. an another mm -hmm. good example. You know, like that stuff just, it, it, it strikes a chord with me. So yeah, I'm very fucking down yeah. for Conan the I Barbarian. think it would be fun. And we all, we might be able to bring back our category from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was the most brute, whatever we called it. Top brutes. <laughs> top brutes. <laughs> like I have a feeling this is a film that could be filled with top brutes. <laughs> so we, we definitely need to keep that bit going, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I love that. Yeah. That, that would be, I'm, I'm sure there'll be an entire nest of brutes to choose from. So let's do it, dude. What was that? 16? Number 16 is now Number 16. Conan the Barbarian. Love it. All right. Let's give a recap of the board now, including that film. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Conan the Barbarian. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Face off number 20 kung fu hustle nailed it dude that is a challenging list now to have conan the barbarian roll into blair witch project there's a lot of bees the friends around. of it no, no no i'll tell you the stretch thunderbolt <laughs> and lightfoot into schindler's list into the friends of eddie coyle i couldn't even do it going slow it's fucking hard yeah, it's like, that's so tricky god damn uh, but anyway yeah that you, you carry a heavy yoke for that whole section my, man thanks for tongue, reading those every week dude i feel like my tongue gets swollen by the end of it <laughs> yeah. it's only 20 film names who knew but it's it's hey, it's 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 a mouthful it's it's a lot uh, should I aim for a low digit? Do you think? So like Please. I said, I was going to do. We gotta, these. We've got some stuff just stagnating on the board on the front yeah. half. Yeah, yeah, fucking scumbags. Let's let's do let's do right hand. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> go back in the trash can, you scumbag. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> a little loosey goosey on this episode of Dark yeah, Boy Movie Night. Yeah, sorry. Just <laughs> Albert Brooks cracks me up when he calls that guy a scumbag on the phone. I just can't get enough. Go back in the trash can, you scumbag. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> it's a little incestuous. Incestuous? We barely see each other. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. I'm going to check this thing. <laughs> all right. The dart has spoken. Oh, no. I don't know if it is the lower number. You'll have to tell me. That number is 10. Number 10. We are going back to the comedy well. It's Big Daddy. Big 
daddy. Okay. That is a huge shamer of mine. I know a bunch of my friends are going to be very excited for this episode. Comedy it is. Doubling up. Totally different type of humor, though. But yeah, I'm excited. We'll get into it next week about how it got up there and yada yada and Sandler. I don't even think we need to mention how to where you can find this. It's Big Daddy. I mean, do we even need to mention the year? Almost everyone in our generation has heard of this film. Right now, you can actually watch Big Daddy on Netflix as of the time of this recording, which is a few weeks before it'll actually get released. But I would imagine it'll still be on Netflix at that point. Give it a watch on there or pay to rent uh, at any of the usual places. I mean, it's a freaking Adam Sandler movie. If you can't find it, what are you doing? Yeah. Nice, dude. I think this will be a fun one. And No, uh, it's, a, it's a movie that is is... I think underrated in a lot of ways for some of the dramatic stuff it pulls off. I think it's like one of Sandler's more heartfelt uh, entries. So I'm excited for you to watch it. Dude, I am too. And looking forward to getting into it next week, man. Absolutely. That is going to do it tonight for our episode on modern romance. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight, even though I don't update it nearly as much as I should. (laughs) Artwork for this show is created by Veronica Roman. All of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later. Later.